Uh, some of you may have noticed my beautiful smile. Uh, I have a, a missing uh, veneer on a tooth. So if I tune in a radio station later, uh, don't worry. As long as it's Christian FM, we're okay. Well, that's working. Thanks, Allison. Can you hear me now? All right. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this morning, we, God willing, will start our series of uh, sermons on the founders of our faith. Our text this morning is the calling of Abram, and this is a fascinating portion of God's word. It's be found in Genesis 12 for any who want to uh, pull up the text, and it's considered by many as the foundational testimony to God choosing a family through which to channel his blessing to those who will receive his grace. After all, the ending of the covenant that's found in uh, Genesis 12, 3, reads as follows. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves through you, meaning Abram. So before I read the text, I just want to contextualize a little bit so you understand what's going on here in Genesis. So Abram is helpful in understanding what the general conditions of the time are that God reaches out to encounter his people. This chapter is the opening of the patriarchal stories in Genesis. And by that we mean the people that uh, we think of like Jacob and Abram and Isaac and others who become the, the founders, as we say here, of the faith. So the bridge between the narrative stories of creation and these amazing history stories is the arrogant story of the Tower of Babylon. Now, uh, a Babel. Many of you remember that story. And in that story, the conclusion was that God confused the people who had one language and were building this ziggurat, this large tower, and were proud of what they had done. And it was seemingly that they would be able to do anything, the scripture says. They would be capable of doing anything. And so God, in his wisdom, decided to give them different languages. And if you've ever tried to work with somebody where you don't know their language, you realize building a ziggurat is not something that's going to be happening. So that's the first thing that happens. And then he scatters them to the ends of the earth. And we realize that in the scattering, he is undoing community. Where always before this, the objective that God has made known to us was gathering into community. And so this text that we're going to have this morning is a look at how are we going to reverse these trends? How is God going to work through a family to pull us back together? So we go from the befuddled ending of Babel to where we uh, enter into the text this morning. So 
what's going to happen here is we're going to see the greatness of God enter in through the blessing of one of the most unlikely people you can imagine. The only way that Abram's ever going to succeed here is if God empowers him to be able to do the things that he's looking to be able to uh, endorse in humanity. So in other words, Abram on his own has no great giftedness to be the father of the faith. Everything from this point on when he hears his call is a gift of God. All right? It's, it, it's, it's going to be astonishing as uh, Allison and Justin and I unfold for you what is the character of this person. Sometimes along the way we're going to scratch our heads and say, well, how in the world did God choose this man? So, what we discover this morning as we enter into the text is you need to buckle up your seatbelts and hold on because the word and the power of God goes out and it does not return empty. And you're going to encounter that power this morning. So we begin our reading this morning just a little prior to chapter 12 in Genesis 11:27, And here you're going to... Uh, understand that uh, the genealogies that are here in the Old Testament are there for a purpose. I know that many of you, as you read them, as soon as you see the word begat, you skip forward to the next chapter. Am I right? Okay, so what's important is I'm just going to give you the end of the begats, and, and then I'm going to explain why genealogies are important to pay attention to. So here we go. Genesis 11:27 and following. Now this is the line of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begot Lot. Haran died in the lifetime of his father Terah in his native land, Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took to themselves wives, the name of Abram's wife being Sarai, and that of Nahor's wife, Milcah the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Keep that in your minds. And uh, 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 a very, very important part of how the story will unfold. So now we come to chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your native land and from your father's house to the land I will... Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Verse 31. You're right, Clement. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his granddaughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans for the land of Canaan. But when they had come as far as Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah came to 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Uh, everyone that's making notes, those are important things. He died in Haran. He never went on to Canaan. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your native land and from your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. 
Now, I'll just pause there for a sec because I don't think I highlighted this in my notes. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. That's what they were trying to do when they built the ziggurat in Babylon. They were trying to make a great name for themselves and they were trying to be a blessing. And because they didn't seek it from God, they were denied it. Now, in this wonderful reversal, God is giving it. Abram never asked for it, right? This God has come to Abram and said, here are the things I will give you. Here are the things that will make you successful. They are a gift. I will bless those who bless you and curse him that curses you and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. That's a lot better than a rabbit's foot. Right? He's not giving him a good luck charm. He's saying, where you go, people will be attracted to you. People will think highly of you. People will want to work with you. Can you imagine that kind of a blessing? That is absolutely phenomenal. You're not going to run into conflict. You're not going to run into difficulty. If someone says you're a he gets back double. And I, Abram, don't even have to say it. I don't have to call him down. I don't have to get out of character because I'm blessed. Now, that blessing is going to take a lot of years to take effect, but there it is. Bam! Starting today, you're going to be changed. You're going to be different. So Abram went forth as the Lord commanded him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. Maybe you begin to see why the rocking chair. When he left Haran, Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's, uh, brother's son Lot and all the wealth they had amassed and the persons they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem at the Terebinth of Morah. The Canaanites were then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram, which is absolutely fascinating. How did he appear? In a vision, in a dream, in person, how? doesn't tell us in the text. So we have to use our imagination and our faithfulness to what we believe God would do in this situation. He's trying to turn this man into something he's not. What would be the most positive vehicle to do that? I think it would be in some kind of personal contact. So, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will assign this land to your heirs. And he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west. Not sure where that is here. But I was on the east. And he built there an altar to the Lord again and invoked the Lord by name. Then Abram journeyed by stages towards the Negev. Now, the Negev is the desert area that is below the Holy Land, south. 
not below on the earth. So, here ends the reading of the word. May God add his blessing to our understanding. Now, when I do pastoral visiting with a congregation that I've gotten to know some people and they've gotten to know me a little bit, often one of the first questions they ask me is, uh, what are all these tedious genealogies for? You know, we got one in Matthew, we've got one in Luke, we've got several at the beginning of Genesis. What are they doing in there? Why, you know, I'm bouncing along, reading really well, and then there's begat this, begat that, begat this, begat that, begat this, begat that, begat this. And then he had more children with, you know. Why? Well, in, in this part of the Bible, in the beginning, this is essential to show the connection to the promise. So we're tracing the covenant, and we're tracing who is passing God's covenant through. So this morning, the connection is to Shem. Y'all know who Shem is? Sheming all over. Yeah? He's one of Noah's sons. And the Bible tells us that the promise passes through Shem. So then we have 10 generations from Adam to Noah, we all noticed that right away. And then we noticed there were 10 generations from Shem to Abram. And it's perfect. It balances. It shows that from Adam to Noah, God's people just spiraled down the toilet. And then God acted. And how did he act? Yeah, he pressed restart and left eight people to begin again. Ten generations later, humanity has gone, maybe let's do the southern hemisphere. They went down the toilet the other way, and bingo, they're done. And God decides he'll act again. Only this time, his Holy Spirit is brooding over humanity to choose how to advance forward. He chooses the one in the line of the promise. His name is Abram. And it's astonishing what happens once that covenant that we read starts to take place. So into that situation, into that cesspool, if I can say that word in my pulpit, uh, God determines he'll act. And when he acts, it's because the people of the promise are at an absolute dead end. One of my favorite Old Testament uh, commentators, Walter Brueggemann, says this, the barrenness of Sarai is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. The text tells us there's no foreseeable future for the promise. It's dead. There is no human power to invent a future. The human race and human history has just hit a dead end. It's over. And then God speaks. God speaks and there's hope again. Now, there's an interesting debate 
as to whether the call to Abram was heard in Ur of Chaldeans, the further north, and then it was delayed and then reissued in Haran to Abram. In other words, did Terah begin the migration, but did not hear from God the empowering and enabling blessing that Abram did, and therefore they stopped in Haran. In any event, the important thing is that we know that Abram picked up on the opportunity when God spoke to him, and finally he set out for Canaan. Now, I guess this is a good time to explain the chairs. God tells Abram to leave his family, to leave his country, to set out for a land he would show him. Well, <laughs> you, you heard me read it to you. He's living in a lap of luxury. In Haran, things are just going so good. Dad's got a great business. Things are pouring in. They're, they're growing by leaps and bounds. He's got a great flock of sheep. He's got a great flock of donkeys. He's got more camels than he can rent to the guys that are going in the caravans. And he's just having a great life. And so when God says, you know, leave your country, leave your family, leave everything and go, well, Abram only partially obeys, doesn't he? Because he packs up his family, he takes Lot, he takes all his servants, he takes all his belongings, and he makes this great big caravan, and he heads off to Canaan. Now, when I think of uh, some of my colleagues that have been in ministry, or I think of some of the saints that we celebrate, like St. Francis, who have heard a call from God and left everything, well, this guy doesn't seem to stack up so well. What's going on? Why, why does he have to, you know, continue to live this life of luxury while he follows God's call? He already heard he was going to be blessed if he obeyed. He already knows that God's with him. He already knows, you know, he just has to show up and talk to a merchant in Canaan and the guy's going to be on his side. He could open a new business. But he hedges. He hasn't committed himself fully yet. kind of an interesting observation. It's kind of one that makes many of us wonder, well, what, what was the expectation? Does God give up on him and say, okay, buddy, that's not what I asked? Because he does do that occasionally in Scripture. But no, he sticks with him. And off they go. It's as if God is on the journey too. Isn't that amazing? God is on the journey too. And he's not going to give up on this scallywag. But there's a whole lot for Abram to learn. A whole lot to learn what it means to be blessed. A whole lot to learn what it means to have God 
on your side and the responsibilities that go with it. You know, we have this uh, very interesting uh, phrase, with great power comes great responsibility. Huh. How many people have you seen understand that and exercise that? Maybe when they're over there in that chair and they've got billions of dollars they don't know what to do with and they found a foundation like the Bill Gates Foundation and they start giving back. But not in the beginning. There's a journey to be had. And if God is going on the journey with you, there will be change, serious change, that has to take place. So that's how Abram sets out. That's how things had been important for him. The plan was unfolding. Listen again to the blessings that he's given in verses 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him that curses you. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. Isn't it fascinating also that the three largest religions in the world all trace their roots to Abram? I'm talking the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, and the Muslim faith. They are all rooted in this very story that we start with this morning. How much percentage of the world's population do they represent? It's remarkable. God's word never goes out and returns empty. Never. Our place is to find how do we find ourselves in his story. All that Abram was asked to do was to go to the land that God would show him. Hmm? How difficult is that? <clears throat> this chair. I hope you don't mind me sitting down once in a while. After all, in the New Testament, when Jesus taught in the, in the uh, temple, they used to stand to read the scripture, and the congregation would stay standing because there were no seats in the temple, and the teacher would sit down. Now, I don't want you ever to think I'm comparing myself to Jesus. <laughs> that's, a, that's a far, far cry away. But I was sitting in the rocking chair because I want to tell you a bit of my calling, because calling is the central theme in our narrative this morning. So let's, let's just consider what it's like when you want to hear God speaking in your life, or you don't want to hear it, but you do. So many times through the years, when I've been asked, why did I leave a lucrative career in the burgeoning computer industry to become a Christian minister, the answer I offer people is that I took the rocking chair test. 
And they say, whoa, what's that? And I say, well, I imagine myself retired. <laughs> it wasn't like this, I got to tell you. But in the, in the imagining that I did, I was sitting on the porch of my great big house because I was a very successful executive in the company I worked for. And I had cars, and I had boats, and I had a cottage, and I had a swimming pool, and my children were, all had their educations paid for, and they were still ungrateful. I mean, they, they, um, they were so grateful to me, and, and uh, now my grandchildren would be looked after too. I had everything you could imagine materially, and that was not a stretch. And then, I heard in my daydreaming God's breath. Did I give you ruach, which is the word for wind in the Old Testament, for this gift of life? To do these things. To make millions of dollars for a corporation. To be successful and have your name on a big plaque outside your office, to, to be respected by other businessmen and sit on boards of corporations. And I was so defeated. I felt so deflated and so upset that that's all I could accomplish. So Francis and I talked about it together, and, and we said, well, what, what would be a better alternative? And we started to look into a seminary education. We started to feel that God was pulling us toward a different kind of career. And so I went from an executive salary to zero when we made that decision. A year later, we went from living in a comfortable home to selling a home and having nothing to live in. A year after that, we had to go from Toronto and seminary at Knox College to seminary in Montreal at McGill that neither of us even knew existed before we started on our educational journey. And so I can really relate strongly to God say, go into a land, I'll show you. I mean, whoa, what are you talking about? A land, I'll show you. Now, now I'm, I'm trying to enroll my children in French school that I don't want them to go to because I think I'm coming back to Ontario and they'll lose a year of school, like they'll be set back when they come home. I was a nightmare. But we had this rock core sense that this is what God wanted from us. So off we went and we did this uh, adventure together, I'll call it. We had incredibly high expectations of what we would encounter there, and God did not disappoint us. Another time when you see the rocking chair up here, I'll share some of those stories with you. But it was life-changing. Almost as much of a life change for me as when I was baptized as an adult. So you can see, I don't have a typical Christian journey. I have the kind of journey where God speaks and I muddle through the best I can what he's asking of me. So now is a good time, I think, Clement, for us to share this beautiful song by Brendan Heath called, I'm Not 
what I was. Clement. Anyone who's interested in um, watching that whole video or listening to the whole song, it's, it's wonderful. It's uh, Brendan Heath and the song, I'm Not Who I Was. Now, let's bring it right home to uh, contemporary. Um, we have a seat to fill at Courtright Presbyterian Church. Courtright is seeking to call a minister. We're looking to discern who the Holy Spirit has been brooding over and preparing to come and fill this seat. We know that God has identified the candidate already. God has prepared and designated the person that's just right for us. Somewhere in the field of potential candidates, there is one favored of God and meant to be the next person to sit on our pastor's stool. The one to teach us. The one to love us. To nurture us. To care for us. To develop our faith. To show us where God is walking with us. To shed tears with us to comfort us when we're in pain, to laugh with us when we accomplish things 
and to bring infants to the baptism font and celebrate with great joy that we have welcomed another child into the community of faith. I wish I wasn't 70 years old because I would put my name on your list. We have a wonderful, wonderful community here. So, to identify this individual, I want to share with you some of the practical things we need to do. We need a tremendous amount of prayer and support. The Presbyterian Church in Canada has a process that we've developed through the years to help a congregation invest in its future. And now, that investment begins. And we will do it all together. But there are special players in this role. Our session, which is elected as spiritual leaders of our congregation, is commencing that work, along with me, the interim moderator, to designate people, people we discern have gifts to contribute to a portion of this work. Some will be compiling data and information about Courtright. Some will be adding information about the surrounding community. What are the demographics here? Who should we be attracting to worship? Some will be collating this historic information of who we have been and what are our goals and creating what we call a profile. Now, our profile should be attractive and beautiful. It should explain who we are and who we want to be so that candidates for our opportunity are attracted to it. And we have then to cull through those potential candidates, looking to who we will interview, who we feel God has actually led to this situation, and not just who thinks, whoa, this is a good situation, right? We're not, we're not advertising the way business advertises. We're looking for something deeper and more long-lasting and more in the spirit of being our spiritual leader. And so that, that's a big, big undertaking. So while this is going on, the other thing that's imperative is that we maintain the community that we're talking about. We, we can't let things slide while we are investing in finding a minister. And that means that those that are currently involved in things and engaged in keeping this beautiful operation running need help. We need to see others come on board to assist us in, in keeping things running well. Because we don't want to bring a new minister in here and say, you know, we're so tired. You need to, you need to, you need to, you, you can rejuvenate. No. We want to bring our new minister in here, and we're humming. You know, he comes in here and says, whoa, this place is rocking, and I'm just so excited to be a part of this and, and keep it moving. We don't, we don't want him to come fix our flat tires. Okay? So this is, this is what we're trying to, to do together. Together, that's the stress thing. We, we must try to pull together and work these things through. So in the days to come, you'll hear more and more in the services about our progress, about our prayer needs, about how we and you feel the Spirit nudging us 
in this time to be prepared, to be asked to do something. So we want to be like this call. We want to say, we're going somewhere. And when you say where, we say, we don't know. Do you want to come? And we hope and pray you say, yes, man, I trust Courtright as a community because I've been here and I know that you have God's intention in mind and I want to go on that journey, right? Okay. I'll do it. Justin, Justin left the room, good. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Sorry, Justin. So this is what we're doing. In the transition, it's a, t a time to consider what is God doing among us? Many times it's something new. It's not more of the old stuff. It's not pushing harder, stay longer, join more committees. No. Think creatively. Has God touched you? Is there an idea? Is there a possibility? Is there something that you've yearned to offer? Come on down. It's time. God is moving in this place. Let us pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here. I had never imagined in my rocking chair test that this would be a place where I would be privileged to share your word, to challenge people, and to even grow and deepen my own experience of your blessing. May that go forward. May we all grow. And may we learn to say together as a community, Amen, thanks be to God.